0: The thermometer flashed 21 degrees, but it felt more like about 8 that morning. I had just walked around that famous obelisk known as the Washington Monument. It glistened in the morning sun, and I felt proud as I watched that circle of American flags billowing around that special spot. But it was cold, so I turned to take a shortcut to go back to my hotel and I found myself standing on the street corner just one block from the White House. I was waiting for the walk sign to illuminate, and I was so cold that I was jogging in place, trying to stay warm. I was dressed wearing two layers of athletic wear, a ski hat, warm gloves, and a down coat, and then I glanced down near my feet, and just about six feet from my feet on the sidewalk, was a homeless person in a sleeping bag, sleeping soundly on a grate where the warm air was blowing up. My first thought was, this is awful. This is terrible. Here in the greatest land on the earth at the seat of power, how can we have a homeless person sleeping on the streets in the shadow of the White House? I thought surely we should pass some laws. And by we, I mean they those people in Congress at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, they should pass some laws to make it possible for all men and women, both the mentally ill and the drug addicted, the veterans and the victims of extreme poverty, to all have the opportunity to sleep inside of a warm house instead of on the sidewalk. Systemic change, I thought to myself while I waited for the walk sign to illuminate. That's the answer. But I never walked over to the homeless person shivering inside of that sleeping bag to find out if it was a man or a woman and to offer her a cup of coffee or a gift card to Panera. I did not offer to pray with her or to listen to the story that led her to sleep on the streets. I did not touch. I had to scurry off to my conference, which, by the way, was on the topic of generosity. Some folks are difficult to touch. I remember a guy named Jim, who used to come around the church quite a bit. Not only did Jim have AIDS, but he had lost his eyesight. His family had disowned him. He had no way to earn a living. He was a good friend of our member, Carol Nichols, Carol had become his buddy through an organization here in Kansas City providing housing for people with AIDS who would have otherwise been homeless. Carol and Jim had lunch about once a week, and she often brought him here for concerts and special events. And his support group met here up in the youth center. So I saw him frequently, and he was wicked smart, but a wee bit brazen and extremely verbose. I remember how much I admired Carol, not only for being Jim's buddy, but for building a genuine friendship with with one of those folks that most people in the world were uncomfortable touching. Jesus touches the one everyone was afraid to touch, the leper. When you and I read of stories of Jesus healing a leper, we wonder, well, medically, how did that happen? How did he perform that miracle? But the ancients didn't ask that question. They asked, how dare he touch that man? Since this is the third healing story that we get in only the first chapter of the book of Mark, we can assume now that healing is no longer the point. Something else is unfolding jesus is breaking the code the society's norm the religious rule was that you don't touch someone with leprosy the worry was less about it being contagious and more about how you yourself might become polluted contaminated unclean in fact you note that the leper never asked to be made well he asked to be made clean so that he could come back inside of the group. He is the filthy one who is excluded from normal company, from the marketplace, from the home, from the synagogue. If you and I were to stage this scene that we just read, we would have to put in audible gasps after Jesus chooses to reach out his hand and touch the leper. It wasn't done jesus breaks the barrier and in the same breath that jesus crosses the boundaries he also honors the boundaries he tells the cleansed leopard to go and do what was normal procedure to go and see the priest this is the custom it is found both in the book of Leviticus, and it was the common practice. A leper, whether he had normal everyday eczema or a serious disfiguring skin disease like Hansen's disease, what we would call leprosy today, once cleansed, you had to be certified by the priest before being welcomed back into the communal life, into the school, into the village. So in one moment, Jesus both defies the social order and supports it. He breaks the code, and he tells the man to go and follow the code. So, where does that leave us? How are you and I, as modern Christians, supposed to know when we are to push on the envelope and when we are to comply with the accepted social norms? How do we walk that fine line between protesting what we know in our gut is terribly wrong and going with the flow inside this community of faith one example of this tension unfolds in the text itself for we're told that when jesus saw the leper he was moved with pity but many commentators say that jesus was actually moved with anger depends on how you read the ancient manuscripts But are you and I prepared to think that Jesus, our Savior, was angry with the structures of the world that shunned people who had diseases like leprosy and pushed them to the outskirts of society? Okay, even if we go with the translation of pity, that Jesus was moved with pity, not anger, you note that when he touches the leper and cleanses him, he then sternly orders him, about the next steps. Why sternly? Doesn't Jesus look better to us, meek and mild, not stern? One of the most popular TV shows in recent years has been the show called Breaking Bad. Now, I've not watched it, so I'm not recommending it, but the premise cleverly reels in the viewer. The show is about a high school chemistry teacher who finds out that he has a serious form of cancer that will involve very serious, very expensive medical treatment. And he knows that getting the treatment will bankrupt his family. And so he begins making and selling illegal drugs to earn money to pay for his treatment. And I suspect that the reason this show became so popular is because it names attention that all of us experience that tension of knowing when do we push back on what we think is wrong in the social order in order to reach some greater good or when do we stay inside the boundaries i am fascinated by a man named william lloyd garrison who was born in massachusetts in 1805. in garrison's lifetime Most presidents of the United States of America owned slaves. The United States economy was built on slave labor, and slaves even helped construct some famous federal buildings in Washington, like the Capitol and the White House. Garrison, in his life, saw children ripped from their mother's arms and sold into another man's property He saw married couples separated for life and people treated as if they were animals. When this white, educated man turned 25 years old, he joined the fledgling abolitionist movement, speaking eloquently and passionately against what he saw as a grave injustice in society. In the first issue of his anti-slavery newspaper, Garrison wrote, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch. I will be heard. I am baffled by his courage, but more than that, by his insight. How did he come to question what was the social norm of his time? How did he feel certain enough that he found the courage to speak up, to risk his own life, to risk his family's safety, and to agitate for change? When do you and I push on the boundary, and when do we honor it? Dr. Arnold Gold was a pediatric neurologist in New York City. He became distressed in his own medical career when he saw that doctors were becoming more and more focused on the new medical technology such as MRIs and CAT scans, and less and less focused on the patients. One day, Dr. Gold was making rounds with a student when the student said to him, Dr. Gold, uh, the brain tumor in 209? And Dr. Gold said, the brain tumor? Isn't there a child involved? Tell me, he said, about the child, about the family, about how the family is responding to this situation. Do you know any of this? And the student didn't. That night, Dr. Gold went home and he complained to his wife, bemoaning the direction that medicine was heading. And she said, you know, Arnold, I'm tired of you griping about medicine. Do something about it or shut up. And so Dr. Gold, became a champion for compassionate, patient-centered care. He tried to change the way that medical students were educated and tried to figure out ways to teach them empathy and compassion, not just how to read a CAT scan. He introduced the white coat ceremonies at medical schools where students would take the Hippocratic Oath in the early days of their medical education rather than upon graduation. He said, you are only half a physician if you're just good at your craft. This week, the New York Times reported his death at the age of 92. And I wondered, how does a doctor stay both inside the medical system and yet work to change it and make it better? You and I live in a world of extremely complex issues, immigration, race relations, environmental destruction, gender inequality, mounting debt, the threat of war. There is plenty to confound us, challenge us, anger us, agitate. What do you suppose God calls us to do in the middle of these complex issues? If you find yourself confused you may be in just the right place if you have a plan and it does not go according to your plan you may be exactly where God needs you here at the beginning of Mark's gospel Jesus tells the leper keep it a secret don't tell anyone And instead, the leper leper goes out and proclaims it boldly and loudly to everyone who will listen, spreading the word of Jesus' healing power so rapidly that he cannot even step outside now without being mobbed. And then, at the end of Mark's Gospel, when the women go to the graveyard to anoint Jesus' dead body and they find that he is risen, that he is not here, Someone tells them, go and spread the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and they tell no one because they are afraid. When do we speak up? And when do we keep silent? When do we push the boundaries? And when do we stay inside of them? A 24-year-old medical student named Ernesto Che Guevara took a break from his medical school studies and traveled throughout Latin America. He traveled with a friend named Alberto Granado, who was a biochemist specializing in leprosy. The two young men traveled, and the account of their travels was recorded in a book Che wrote called Motorcycle Diaries. It was later made into a film in 2005. Che says that one of the most moving and profound moments of that trip was when they stopped in Bogota and visited a group of lepers. He said that there was an accordion player who had lost the fingers on his right hand and had sticks attached to his wrist so that he could play the accordion. And there was a singer who was blind. And there were all these people who are disfigured in horrific ways, and they sat together by the river, listening to the beautiful music as the lanterns illuminated the river and reflected back beauty amidst the horror. And he said that when they left there, that many of the lepers were filled with tears in their eyes as they said goodbye. They were so grateful so deeply appreciative that these two young men had been there to visit never putting on gloves never robing up never shielding themselves but treating these people as people not as animals when in god's name do we push on the boundaries that divide humanity.